Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Chase Thomas podcast. We're back. John Taylor, Fangraphs.com, up there in New York City is here. John, good evening, sir. How are you? I am doing well. How about yourself? Not too bad. I haven't gotten your uh, official take on the four designs. I don't know if it's going to be up on this particular episode that goes up tomorrow. You haven't haven't let me know. Well, I saw you sent me one. Mm -hmm. I only got one of them. I did see the rest on Instagram very recently, but I Mm -hmm. I didn't have a chance to to rank them mentally. Okay. But in doing so at this exact moment, I will vote for... (sighs) That's tough. These are all pretty good. I know. Blue Wire did a really good job. They sent me, and yeah. I was I was nervous about this when they said they were going to do the the new design because I was like, I hope it's just one, and I just have to okay or disagree with the one because I am indecisive when it comes to stuff like this. And, I mm-hmm. I like I like two and four. Two and four. You're basing off the Instagram one, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm pulling that up too. So this not being a visual podcast is great. Um, two are is out. Podcast. And number four is where I'm leaning. Okay. I like four. I also like one a fair amount. I think three just feels a little too busy with all the X's and O's going on in the background. Plus, well, see, that's what I'm saying. Like is that not even just X's and O's. You get basketball court and a football field. I think it's really good. I just think, like you said, it takes away from actually... Uh, there's a lot the, going on there. There's a lot going on. It's been referred to as busy multiple times, but it's a good looking thing. I like it. So I want to turn that one in to a banner type deal. I think you can extrapolate that out into like... Uh, the non-main logo, just like a, a banner type deal because... Yeah, I like that. Uh, right? Like, I think that's the way to do it. And I also like the orange text, but I just love the text for number four. I like the orange and white and the way they chase something. Like, that pops for me. Um, the thing about the orange hat is uh, one of my uncles in the, the Braves family group chat, John, said I looked like Bobby Hill. So that was it. That, that one's Oof. out. Ouch. I'm Goodness. out. Goodness. That's my purse. I don't know you. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that that one's out. As legendary of a character as Bobby Hill is, I, I can't in good faith uh, do that. I, I can't. It's out. But yeah, I do wear a lot of orange I, hats being in big orange country. But now I have to think about, should I be wearing orange hats anymore? Are people walking I, around I, like, is that Bobby Hill? Is that the real life Bobby Hill? And Is that what's I, happening I to me? Did Bobby Hill wear orange hats? Is that a... Is that a thing? I don't think he did. I just think I maybe it makes my face look rounder. The orange just does not bode well with the image. But also, like, I got a pretty good facial structure. I feel good about my jawline. I, I feel good about all that. But I don't know. Maybe it's an insecurity where I'm like, I, I can't have a bunch of strangers thinking that I look like Bobby Hill. Can't be doing it. Yeah, that's fair. But I, I don't get a Bobby Hill vibe. For okay. It's worth. That's good. I know, not a Bobby Hill guy. And also, like, people, one of my, because I shouldn't have asked all my friends and everyone in my life because they all gave different, uh, there's no general consensus. I I don't know why I thought there'd be a general consensus. Uh, But one of them said, uh, like, you look 12, so how do you have facial hair? And this is just, it it became a roast across the board. Uh, I was going to say, you're you're getting brutalized. But I can't, like, it's not, they're not wrong that I can't really grow facial hair, but I can grow the outline of facial hair. So I can do a goatee outline, which is what is in these uh, podcast images, okay. which is what I can do. My, I can do the, the five o'clock shadow of a goatee that you can see the circle around, uh, around my face. And I like that. I like having the, a couple days of no shaving. I don't really like doing anything more than that. That's fair. I, I understand that. 
and that concludes the uh podcast uh question uh logo question uh portion of this of this show sir so there you go there you go i think uh i think we decided uh john taylor um speaking of things that were decided this week billy epler the mets finally have a new gm and it's not someone from the uh let me check my notes here the lawyer game it's uh someone who actually has been in baseball relatively recently uh last with the angels before getting fired there um yeah epler longtime yankees guy back to new york uh this is ultimately who they landed on uh your immediate thoughts at steve cohen hiring billy epler as uh the team's new gm i mean he could have done worse yeah that was my first thought too. I was like, "Oh, this is better than they lowered the the bar so much in recent yeah, maybe, days." Maybe maybe that was the whole point of, of making everyone think it was going to be Chromey that it just lowered the bar so that hiring a guy like Billy Epler feels like a relative win, which yeah, it, it's not. It's really not. I mean, the best that can be said about Billy Epler is that he has run a front office before, so he knows where all the you know. Um, theoretical buttons and switches are mm. and he's involved within the current game of baseball so that you know the the advances of the last couple years few years whatever you want to call it have not passed him by that's about all <laughs> nice to say that mm-hmm. and this is something i know we talked about a lot about those angels teams that he ran it never really felt like they had a plan beyond we have Mike Trout and eventually we have Shohei Otani. Although, the, again, the latter seemed more like a fluke than anything else. Uh, a combination of Otani wanting to pitch on the West Coast and in a less than crazy market, which is either Seattle or, or the Angels, and he just ended up choosing the Angels. But there never seemed to be a plan beyond we have Mike Trout and we have Shohei Otani. That's enough, right? And it was never enough because it just... It, <sighs> well, I think part of it, too, is, like, he never talked about, because I'm sure you would get, like, blackballed for doing this, but, like, I wish we got on record of, like, was it more a Moreno thing? Like, what was it like working yeah. with Artie? Like, how well, much of the stuff did you want to do that he just did not sign off on? Like, did you want to well, address the pitching and stuff and spin more and do more and you just were restrained? Like, that is what we really don't know because we know the angels ownership group is not the best and it's mercurial at the very least right like so i don't yeah. i don't know and i i'm willing to give him the benefit of some doubt there that yes the ownership situation with the angels is bad arde moreno is a dunderhead who meddles and thinks he knows more than everybody problem is isn't billy epler joining the exact <laughs> same ownership scenario what he's like, got experience in it he knows he knows how to not build a winner uh for rich organizations that exactly. should be better and like th- it feels to me like he is stepping into what is essentially a carbon copy of the angels situation yeah a franchise that is that should be better that has an elite all-time player in this case jacob de as opposed to to mike trout although they, they don't have the same position player oh, i guess lindor is not trout but i guess they've got something so they have stars and then they have scrubs and they have a bad farm system that they have not done great at player development with. They have an owner who seemingly doesn't really know what he's doing. And they have a front office that has just atrophied over the last few years because, well, there hasn't really been a lot of investment in it, either into the R&D side of things or into creating any kind of real nominal future. And I think that's what the – that this is, this is the thing about the, the Epler hire that I think makes it feel like such a bad move to me. 
it's it's not at all geared toward the future. Like Billy Epler is not the future. He had his chance already in in Los Angeles, and yeah, you could argue that Artie Moreno made his job more difficult, or the AL West is a tough division because you got he had to deal with uh, peak Houston and a very smart, very good A's team, and how much he really. It doesn't matter. The guy didn't do well there at any level. The teams didn't win. None of their free agent acquisitions really accomplished anything. Their player development was bad. Their drafting was bad. Like, what is what did Billy Epler accomplish with the Angels that makes anyone involved with the Mets think this is the right guy for this moment? That that to me is it. This that to me is what gets me that this doesn't feel like. And I think this is just a, an indictment of the Mets' entire search and process that this doesn't feel like a team landing on the candidate they've always wanted who brings a lot of you know upside or experience or whatever it happens to be. This very much feels like the best available kind of last-minute choice. It's like when you walk into a supermarket, they don't have what you're looking for, and so you just grab the nearest thing that approximates it mm. without even really considering exactly how it works or if it's even exactly right for what you're doing. I think Epler works for what the Mets are doing because the Mets don't seemingly have any eye toward the future. Mm-hmm. Although I do find it really funny that multiple reporters have pointed out that he's like best buddies with David Stearns, as mm. if the mere presence of Billy Epler on the Mets is just going to convince David Stearns to be like, hey, I like running a team that makes the playoffs and is really smart and is really good, but why don't I just go work for, above, with, I don't even know what preposition makes the most sense there, mm. with one of my friends for a catastrophically dysfunctional organization that never knows what it's doing. Then that's just that's just how this whole thing ends up feeling. Like, the message did, you could have had Billy Epler at any point during this process. He was not working for a team in the playoffs, you didn't have to, you could have hired him literally the day after, uh, I was going to say the day after Zach Scott was fired, but you didn't even have to wait that long. You could have hired him at any point in the offseason. Well, what this tells us, I think, is that Stearns was the guy. I'm sure that there were that Stearns was the, one of the guys, if not like, the guy. Like, Cohen was just like, I want Stearns. And they were like, we can't get Stearns. And he's like, I want Stearns. And they're like, what about this he's guy? Like, and he's I like, want, I want his cheapest non-union equivalent. And yes. that's pretty much what Billy Epler, I guess, is in their eyes. But right. again, to, to me, it's the process of you. it took you a month to hire a guy who was readily available the entire time. You looked like complete morons the entirety of the search. You got rejected by two dozen different people, including folks who weren't even actively part of the search, but wanted to reach out to reporters to make sure everybody knows, no, I'm not actually interested in the Mets, thank you. And on top of that, you let a month's worth, essentially, of important baseball front office activity go pretty much undone, or at the very least without the input of your new general manager, including letting one of your best pitchers walk to the Angels on a deal just slightly above the qualifying offer because you basically ignored him for an entire month. Well, well let's hold and that one because we have the Thor manager. comments to have as well. Uh, we have Thor and Stroman just competing amazing uh, New York stories. But um, the other thing, too, to wonder about, because it, it, wasn't he just described as, like, unbelievably competent? Wasn't that the... Yes, the... unbelievably competent, which is, I guess, a positive right. for the Mets. But, like... What does that even mean? Like, how do you just, come to that conclusion? Like, it just I, means he knows how to pick up a phone, basically. It means he knows how to talk to other GMs. It means he understands which hand the glove goes on and who mm. what. Like, it means he understands the... Again, he knows, the uh, he knows about the Netflix show You. Yes, the benefit of Billy Epler, like I said, is that he jo- he already knows how things work. This is There's no learning on the job with him. You don't have to install someone above him to kind of hold his hand and guide him. 
he he already he can you can plop him into the Mets front office today, which I guess is technically what happened, mm-hmm. and he can go right to work because he knows he already knows how this whole uh, song and dance goes. But Do you like think I part said, of the conversation was though, like, are you well. good with? Sandy being the final decision maker here. Well, and that that's the other thing. How much do we know about that? The the story has been that Epler does have final say on decision matters, but how does that work if Sandy Alderson is still there? That's what I'm saying. I don't buy that. I think it's still Sandy. I don't buy that at all. I because the other thing is I think the Mets would have had a GM far sooner than this if that actually were the case. Mm-hmm. Because I would like to I, my assumption is that one of the biggest uh, sticking points in hiring a GM up to this point, and probably including this point, was that Sandy Alderson wants to remain in charge of decision making. Th- th- he has not given any sign or or indication that he does not plan on being an active part of of Mets decision making. At least nothing he has said in the last, at least in the last month or two, and certainly not over the course of the year as a whole, suggested that he was going to step aside to to let someone else run run the operations. I get the sense that the probable goal here i think like i said last uh, like we said uh, either last week or the week before was that alderson was going to be there while scott and porter got themselves situated and, and built up the infrastructure they needed and once they were set he was probably going to retire to some special advisor role is that going to be the case now with epler even though uh, considering that epler already knows what's up i mean is alderson going to argue that because he's been there for as long as he's been there he needs another year to help epler get set or what I I don't know I I don't know but I just I don't nothing about this hire suggests uh, a, a brain trust that's looking toward the future or or brain trust really that's done anything other than like I said just kind of grab the nearest available thing when it became abundantly clear that all other options were exhausted and that's not really fair to Billy Epler who's not some he's not some you know Cam uh, Bonifay like um, you know name a bad gm like he, he he's not some uh dano not dano frank wren very nice man yeah he's not some he's not some frank wren level kind of stooge or or just some some overwhelmed like kid who doesn't know what he's doing he again he has done this before he was part of the yankees front office under brian cashman he has a fantastic reputation when it comes to scouting but there's again there was really not a whole lot if anything from his angels tenure to suggest that there is really anything here other than baseline competent GM work that would be fine in an organization with uh, a good owner and an already existing smart R&D staff. Or what, so to me, Epler at this point feels more like a guy you hire as an assistant or mm. as a director of scouting or, or something like that. You, you put him in a role where all the decision-making is not his because he didn't really have a very good track record of that with, with the Angels. All the free agent pitchers the Angels have brought, brought in over his time were, did, did not work. Most of his free agent signings as a whole did not work. And it's and that followed a pattern that I think is probably going to happen with the Mets too, where they weren't allowed to play at the top end of the market and you just kind of had to get creative with middle and, and lower tier free agents. He has no good track record there. He also doesn't have a good track record, with, track record with player development. Those Angels teams under his watch had very bad farm systems and continue to have pretty weak ones. Like It's not like he left that organization in a better place than he found it. He left it more or less the same which is to say bad and so, so just with with all that in mind i just yeah like i said it, it is an indictment of the of the search it is an indictment of the process and it really suggests that the mets you know new new owner new owner old owner doesn't matter that this is just a dysfunctional organization that once again needs some kind of change at the top and i i 
maybe Steve Cohen can get better. Maybe this, maybe he has learned from this last year that his impudent kind of over aggressive, whatever you want to call it, that his, his communication ownership style simply does not work. He needs to be less visible. He needs to throttle back. I don't know how you can feel any sort of confidence about Sandy Alderson in the same way. Like I, I still don't understand how he's still on this team. He should have been let go a long time ago at this point. Uh, the Porter and Scott hires and their results alone should have been cause for dismissal for him. And now he's still going to be there, also working alongside Epler. Who, again, like who makes the decisions here? What? How is this supposed to work? How is this going to work? And again, they've already wasted a month doing this, and they still do not have a manager. It is almost the it is almost Thanksgiving, and the Mets don't have a manager. That's a long time to go without hiring a manager. How many teams still have open managerial vacancies? I just completely forgot they don't even have a manager right now. They don't because they already let Luis, not only did they let Luis Rojas go, which was completely understandable. He's already actually found a job as a new third base coach for the Yankees. Hmm. What? Who? I'm actually. I'm going to look this up. Willie Randolph, let's go. To... Yeah, bring bring back bring back Jerry Manuel. What's Jerry Manuel? What is Jerry Manuel um, doing? Terry Collins would probably I, do it right for a year. I mean, the, I've heard Buck Showalter bounced around as a name, which is mm. absolutely mind blowing to me that anyone would. Be well, his name popped Buck up Showalter. for the Padres job too, so that tells me his agent's putting it out there that no he's up for it. Okay, so here's the, the there are two managerial vacancies right now. The A's, who let Bob Melvin walk and are almost certainly just going to promote someone with, from within their system because they don't feel like spending money anymore, mm-hmm. and the Mets. Everyone else either has already has a manager or already hired a manager, and that includes uh, the Cardinals, the Padres, obviously, and actually, were those the only other two managerial openings? Hmm. Yeah, it, was a, yeah. it was a quiet winter in terms of bloodletting. Either way. <laughs> mm-hmm. They still don't have a manager. They are behind in the process of trying to get a manager. And a lot of teams are already in the process, as, like, as I just mentioned with the Yankees and Rojas, of filling their coaching staff. How eager are they going to be to let a bench coach or a minor league coach interview for a position when they'd have to backfill the job really late? Again, none of this suggests that the Mets knew what they were doing at any point because they could have hired Epler a month ago. They didn't, and they wasted a bunch of time, and they lost Noah Syndergaard in the process, and they don't really look any better coming out of it than they went going in. If anything, they look way worse coming out of it. They seem to have proven yet again that dysfunction is the only consistent is the only is the only consistent anything within that within that ownership and front office group. It's just that they don't know what they're doing at any really at any really at any given point in time. Shout out to Desmond from Lost. It's the constant. I never actually watched Lost, so... Did you never? What? I never watched it, yeah. What? It's a a big cultural blind spot for me. I just skipped it. Oh, my goodness. The sports renaissance woman hasn't watched The Wire or The Sopranos, so I don't even know what to do with that. It doesn't really seem like with Lost... The thing with Lost, it doesn't really seem like I missed anything. Just a whole lot of J.J. Abrams mystery box stuff that I, Mm. quite frankly, am very tired of in his stuff. Well, he left. He was overseeing it, but it was still mostly Lindelof and... uh, was his name Charles Cruz? I forgot what the other guy's name is. Uh, I like Damon Lindelof. I mean, I really, I really like the Watchmen. Leftovers uh, is great. Sequel adaptation, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, by the time I, by the time Lost became kind of a thing that was enough on my cultural radar, enough seasons had also passed. Where I was like, I'm not catching up on all of that. That's way <laughs> too much TV. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I forgot there was a show like that recently where I was like, I need to watch that, and then I saw the seasons, and I was like, I, that, there's no time for that. What? What? It's gone. That that's just gone. I'm not even putting that on my list. 
there's no time for that it's not going to happen um speaking of things not going to happen uh thor returning to the new york mets um and also marcus stroman going to the new york yankees so those two stories what makes you what's more interesting to you because thor is obviously excited he already made the rally monkey as his uh twitter header on his uh twitter profile this week so he goes to the the angels we talked about on this pod just a few weeks ago that they i think it might have been actually last week the angels need to go big game hunting in the starting pitching market they need depth there obviously but i look at it as like they need uh they need depth that they know they can count on they need available depth and i don't know if thor is going to be available like if it goes the right way you just you just knocked it out of the park great stuff if it goes the other way, which I think is, I mean, if there's a 50-50 shot, I think it's more than 50-50 for him going the wrong way, um, then you're still in the same boat you were before he signed. So I think it's like, he's a nice wild card, but he should only be viewed as a wild card and not really change any of your offseason starting pitching plans because it cannot end there. No, and, and I think you're right on, on both counts. One, Syndergaard is exactly the kind of, of high-ceiling pitcher the Angels should be going after. Too many of the last few years they've wasted going after the Jose Quintanas of free agency if on one-year, like, $10 million deals and hoping to get at, you know, like some kind of league. No, no, no. That, that, that's a, it's a waste of time when you have Mike Trout on your roster. You need to go bigger than that. And Syndergaard is probably as big as you could get outside of the Scherzer-Verlander-Kershaw trio which the Angels, they were never going to be realistic uh, players for any of those three, I don't think. Syndergaard makes a lot of sense. Obviously, the big worry is coming off the Tommy John surgery and the fact that he has only pitched two innings in the last two years. He would, And also, not just pitched two innings in the last two years, but he hasn't thrown a breaking ball really since. And his slider is really key to him being an actual good pitcher. Uh, you also have to worry, too, about what he's going to be like coming off that layoff, what, the first, you know, what his first starts are going to be like. Is the velocity still going to be there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The good news is, uh, in those in that short, brief period of time with the Mets at the end of last season, he at least looked the same. The delivery was still the same. His mechanics looked the same. I mean, maybe you talk about some kind of mechanical adjustment because you know he's had now two serious arm injuries with a, the, the severe lat strain back in 2018, I believe it was, and now the Tommy John surgery. But this is a one-year deal, so it's kind of unlikely that that's going to happen. Also, I wouldn't really trust the Angels to do that anyway. That, I think, is the part that confuses me a little about this deal that selfishly i wanted Syndergaard to go to a smart team or at least a smarter team or a team with a track record of pitching development and pitching imp- improvement i've always wondered what he would do in a place like tampa bay or houston uh what they would be able to get accomplished with him and what they'd be able to get out of him but one year with the angels not that bad i mean he will have his obviously his opportunity to rebuild his value and try again next offseason so I, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Angels. $20 million is, is pocket change. I mean, it's only $2 million more than what the qualifying offer would have been. I don't think they were going to get a better deal on anyone on the market, at least for a one-year kind of prove-it deal. So I think it makes sense for them. It obviously makes sense for him. Like I said with the Mets, the embarrassing thing here is that they made him the qualifying offer and then apparently never spoke to him again after that. Uh, this is a guy who wanted to stay in New York and ended up leaving for the entirely opposite coast. For a team that, at least on paper, is not... Per- this is the other thing. It would have been one thing if he'd left for a true blue contender. You know, if he'd sign a one-year deal with the Dodgers or something, you could see people going, "Well, that sucks." But hey, I get it. You gotta, you know, he wants, you know, he, he wants to contend. The Angels aren't nominally any better than the Mets. This is, it's, it's funny. You know, Billy Epler going from one to the other, and Noah Syndergaard going the other direction. These are two really similar franchises in terms of 
uh, the strength of their roster, their position within the division, their idiotic ownership, um, problems building the roster around its stars. It's a real, it's a, it's a, it's a real leap of faith on Syndergaard's part to be associated with not only a bad team but also a team where pitchers go to die. But I like as as we both said, this is I think a kind of move that the Angels had to make. They have very little rotation depth, and that rotation has very little upside within it beyond uh, Shohei Otani and Patrick Sandoval. So I, I I think it's the right move for Syndergaard. But that said, would you like would you like to hear some breaking pitching news? Oh no, Justin Verlander has re-signed with the Houston Astros on a one-year deal worth $25 million per Mark Berman of Fox whatever in Houston and, amusingly enough, Ben Verlander on Twitter. Hmm. I did so not think that, he was going to stay. I, I kind of figured he would, if only because I thought it made the most sense. It's where he... It, it, it's it's where he succeeded most. It's, the, it's a place that has helped him a lot. I, I mean, I know... There I mean, does that mean that Carlos Correa could stay? No, I, okay. I think that the money that would have been earmarked for Korea is going to be spread around to, for example, to Verlander, because it's not just a, a one-year $25 million deal. It's a one-year $25 million deal per John Heyman with a player option for about the same amount of money. So in reality, it's a two-year deal. Wait, they give him a player option in year two? Yes. Mm. So I think that also probably uh, that also probably made it a lot easier for, for Verlander to say to say that... You know, he's basically going to get the same contract next year no matter what he does this year. So, yeah, I think the money that would have been earmarked for Korea is now being spread around. Some of it has obviously gone to Verlander. Some of it will go toward filling out the rest of the roster because I know there's, you know, they presumably the Astros would still like to continue adding pitching both to the bullpen and the rotation. And uh, I think was Korea their most, were Korea and Verlander their most notable free agents? Did they have anyone else in that infield set to walk or in that lineup generally? I don't think they did, right? I don't think so. No. So th- for the most part, they can just kind of tanker a bit here. But I-, I think the fact that we got that leaked Korea offer of five one fifty or whatever it was, which is co- close on the AAV, but obviously very very short on the total years in value, that to me kind of made it. That made Korea's departure pretty much a, 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 a an iron thing. Like it's going to happen. Like that that number doesn't get leaked unless the Astros are trying to come out and say we tried. And not just we tried, but we barely tried because they knew they they knew and they knew Correa knew that five one fifty wasn't going to get it done. But so obviously they've instead pivoted to keeping Verlander, and I I kind of like that because you know Verlander, McCullers, assuming he's healthy, Framber, Luis Garcia, uh, Jose Urquidy rotation, that's real good. That's probably the best rotation in the American League West. It's not one of the better rotations in baseball. I think you could win with that. And I think the Astros are probably assuming, yeah, we'll take a hit when we lose Correa, but we can make up for it in having a healthy Verlander back and putting that money into other places on the roster to, to kind of, you know, bolster the edges to make up for this big hole that's been created. Hmm. Well, there Very you have funny, it. Though, the two pitchers who pitched a combined two innings or one inning or whatever it was in 2021 uh, signed deals worth a guaranteed $46 million for next year. Hmm. Who needs rehab? Who need who needs who needs current health to predict future health? Just wow! So you're just taking all kinds of shots at the remaining the remnants rather of the Texas Rangers. That was their bread and butter. That was their that was their their thing. Let's pitch a rehab, and now that's gone. Now it's gone. Um, well, we should probably talk about Trevor Story before he signs somewhere else, right? 
did not pick up his qualifying offer. What do you think the market will be for him? This is leaving skid marks on the way out of college. I love <laughs> that he wants absolutely nothing to do with that franchise ever again. It's extremely funny how the Rockies piss off every single player that they have. And uh, they could have gotten something really good for him at the deadline. Sensatella. I mean, they could have, but they were stubborn and stupid. Did they really think he was staying? I just... I they I just the Rockies man they're the worst franchise in Major League Baseball right now and I don't think it's particularly close. Oh, would you like some other baseball news right now? Uh oh. That from earlier today, Brandon Belt is leaning toward accepting the qualifying offer. Okay, it's probably smart. Yeah, I would say. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot needs to be said about that other than yeah, it makes sense for both sides. Um, mm. I'm waiting for you. Like, I'm getting more nervous because you keep dropping these, and you know the the Freddie Freeman stuff with I'm the years story. being up there. So I don't know when you're going to drop that on this podcast. Well, they, the, the qualifying offer deadline is now or approaching, mm. uh, almost now or almost immediately approaching. So it's understandable we got some news coming because Verlander got qualifying offer too, I believe. Mm. Um, with regards to story, yes, obviously he's not going back to Colorado. I, I agree with you. I think they're the dumbest team in baseball. Um, I would be interested to see what his market is. I think he's going to have to. Well, there are two. There are two ways you, that two ways this could play out for him. One is he waits for Correa and Seager at the top of the market to sign and positions himself as the best available after those two go off the board. Second option is he markets himself to the teams to teams anyway, saying, hey, Korea and Seager are going to be hyper expensive. You can get me for way less money, and I'm a way more stable option than what comes after me in free agency, namely Javi Baez. So I wouldn't be surprised if he signed early. I wouldn't be surprised if he waited a bit. I think he might have to wait a bit because I do think the teams that are interested in a shortstop, unless they know for sure that Correa and Seager are flat nose for them, are going to do their due diligence there and wait for those guys to choose. I don't know that the price difference... I mean, there is going to be a price difference between Correa and Seager, obviously. I don't know that it's going to be substantial enough that he can get some team to bite already. And again, unless a team already knows Correa and Seager are both out. So... I will be very interested to see what his market is. I think he would make a lot of sense, for example, in a place like St. Louis if they decided to spend the money. I know they like Edmundo Soso a lot, and he played very well for them down the stretch, but he would make a lot of sense there both as a defender and as a hitter and allows them finally to move on from Paul DeYoung, who just simply is not working. Uh, so I think St. Louis would make a lot of sense for story and also just make a lot of sense because I don't. they're not a team that's going to go after a Correa or a Seager, but someone like Story makes a lot more sense to them. Obviously, the big issue there is they already have the two long-term deals for Arenado and for Goldschmidt, they may not be have the stomach for yet another uh, nine-figure contract to toss onto that. But at the same time, I, I I do think that would work there. I think he would make. I mean, the, the here's a fun one. Would he make? Would I, I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think they want to spend the money. But the Astros. Would I was thinking the exact same too. thing. I was uh, literally about to say the same thing. I I do think that it's more likely they go with Jeremy Pena anyway because I imagine they two want to see, hey, what's this kid actually got? But boy, Trevor Story on the Astros, I think that would make a lot of sense, actually. Mm. I don't hate that. The Blue Jays, I wouldn't hate them just get on. Like, I would not uh, not hate for them to take another swing. I think they just need to keep taking swings. I'm not a big Kevin Biggio guy. Um, I don't know. Maybe the, the Giants, potentially? Why not? No, because I think they're I think they're happy with Brandon Crawford, and I think that. But also it's going to fall off at some point, right? Like, are we they've sure? Got Marco, they've got Marco Luciano uh, okay. coming up in the system, and he'll be up very soon. I mean, this isn't like the Yankees where you keep hearing, "Oh, uh, Anthony Volpe and and Oswaldo Peraza, the best, they're two super shortstop prospects. What do we need Carlos Correa for?" It's like, my guys, those dudes are like <laughs> years away. 
Like that is such. Come on, let's be let's be realistic here. Whereas with the Giants, it's like no, Luciano's like right there, and not just right there, but they've already got a guy in Crawford who I'm sure they're more than happy with to let him kind of ride it out until Luciano is ready. But I can also see Story being a backup plan for the Yankees if neither Seager nor Correa comes through. Obviously, I think the Phillies should probably be interested in him, uh, although I can't really see them spending the money to do it. That's kind of going to be the thing for Story is if he does appeal to those kind of more you know, the, the the step below the Yankees and the Dodgers in terms of money, a fair number of those teams already have a fair number of, you know, pricey, sizable nine-figure contracts. So, I mean, that makes it kind of tough for him, I think, where it's like if the big spenders are going to be focused on the two best options, where does that leave me? And so that's why I do think it is probably going to take him a little bit for his market to settle unless he gets a really good offer and just decides, screw it, I'm not waiting around because lockout. And I think I'd be interested to see... Or, I mean, I'd be interested to know if you could get guys like Syndergaard or Verlander or Eduardo Rodriguez to talk about it, but are is the upcoming CBA deadline and the almost the almost inevitable lockout pushing these guys to sign earlier than they normally would and or accept deals that maybe they're not the best deals they could get, although I think for Syndergaard and Verlander both, I, I can't imagine they could have really done much better. But just to take the best deal they've already got on the table and get that money guaranteed and get that get the you know get that deal set before you know before everything goes to hell. I, I will note too that it looks like Brandon Belt is the only player who'll be accepting a qualifying offer. Everyone else has declined. Mm. Okay. So one qualifying one qualifying offer accepted, and I think it's the most sensible one on that list. The only other guy I think we might have seen it would have been Syndergaard if he couldn't have gotten any other any other bites. Or probably Eddie Rodriguez if, if the Tigers hadn't appeared to give him a deal. Actually, I am my, mildly surprised Rice Iglesias did not take that qualifying offer. Mm. I, I do imagine he probably thinks as, as arguably the best closer available in the market. Mm. Uh, he can probably turn that into a three-year, $50 million type deal and go for the length as opposed to just the AAV. But, um, still. Come on, White Sox. You can never have too many. That's true. But I'm not. I'm not totally. I'm not entirely surprised by that list of qualifying offers. Like I said, I think Belt is the one that made the most sense to take it back. I don't. I cannot imagine that there was any real appetite on either his part or the Giants' part for him to leave, and that they're all just happier letting him be there for one more year. There you go. Um, one last one before we hit the the Blue Jays real quick. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez signing with the Tigers. That was kind of a the first domino to drop. Um, it's been a couple days. What do you make of it? I like it for Detroit. They very they very clearly needed both rotation depth and a guy who is a cons- nah, not consistency is not really Eduardo Rodriguez a strong suit, but a guy who has had major league success, who you know who has a profile that portends for major league success. Obviously, a bad ERA last year, but a lot of that was a really high batting average on balls in play in front of a very bad defense. So you can argue that uh, you know the peripherals are more on his side. He is, and I think he is more just based on his stuff and ability a high threes ERA pitcher, which makes perfect sense for Detroit also going to a much bigger park, a much t- a much weaker division. That's obviously going to be a big help for him. He gets to be on the same team as Miguel Cabrera, who is one of his idols slash close friends, which I think will also help. He's reunited with one of his early pitching coaches in Juan Nieve, a.k.a. the Spanish Jon Snow. So I think it makes a lot of sense for Detroit, especially for Detroit. You know, they have that rotation that has a lot of upside but doesn't really have uh, the guaranteed production or the kind of floor you'd want to see between Scooble and uh, Casey Mize and Matt Manning and eventually Alex Fado if he's healthy. 
I don't know. Really, I don't really know that they can count on Matthew Boyd going forward, and this is his last year, I believe, under contract anyway. Or if he's not a no, he's not a free agent. I think he's still there. So that that also does give them a guy they can kind of rely on going forward. I know there's an opt out after the first two years. We'll see what goes with that or or what have you. But I, I think it makes a lot of sense for Detroit to add uh, a more stable rotation option than they than they previously had. And I think too one that has a fair amount of upside. I've always I always really liked Eduardo Rodriguez in Boston. I always kind of dreamed that he would be kind of a a, a sort of kind of John Lester replacement as the kind of you know in house strikeout oriented lefty, but Unfortunately, it didn't come to be, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense for Detroit, and I really like that move for them. And then this is the kind of move they should be making, not just getting the established major league players, but also just handing out four-year deals because they have so little money on the books going forward that there's no real reason to worry about what the payroll is going to look like in 2024, especially, again, considering we're going to have a whole new CBA in somewhere between three weeks' time and 20 weeks' time. So, you know, that, I think it makes sense for Detroit just to be all in on giving the big long-term deals. And while I will note that Detroit also had a very bad defense last year, I don't think that will be the case going forward in 2022, especially when they signed Carlos Correa and Javi Baez. We can't do this to them yet. Until it happens, let's not get Tigers fans that, all wound that's, up that's yet. Super, I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed that my Carlos Correa, Justin Verlander uh, repairing in Detroit did not work out. My Carlos Correa, Javier Baez idea, on the other hand... That, that has to happen. I want to see that happen. Well, we, we, we want it to happen, too. Like, Tigers, I mean, Detroit fans are going through it right now. I don't know if you're keeping up with the Pistons and the Lions, but it is rock bottom. Pistons might be the worst team in the NBA, and the Lions the worst team in the NFL. I mean, when has that not been the case? <laughs> no offense to Detroit, but, like, that's kind of the usual state of affairs there. Like, mm-hmm. are, there, are there Detroit fans who are still getting upset about this? Like, getting mad oh, yeah. at the Lions for being a bad team is, like, getting mad at, like, it's like getting mad at rain. What's the point? Mm. It's, it's there. It's always going to happen. Like, what, what is there to be mad about? That it exists? Mm. That's how I felt about the Falcons uh, for various points in my uh, my adult life. Um, but, you know, you never know. The fortunes could change. And we've seen good good uh, Detroit baseball. We've seen... We, we have not forgotten the Kenny Rogers era uh, in Detroit. Um, so let's hit the Blue Jays. Jose Barrios getting a gigantic extension in Toronto. Uh, they had a great season. I think we have to start there. They had a great season. Ultimately, they're in the division of hell, and it's just always going to be a battle uh, breaking through. And the Red Sox finding their footing really, really hurt them this year. Um, yes. I don't think like the Red Sox if they had just been like they were the year before, or like what a lot of us had expected they would be. We're looking at the Blue Jays. I think a little bit differently. Um, that was not the case. The Red Sox are good. The Blue Jays were good, and unfortunately, there were four good teams in the AL East, and they were uh, the most unlucky, I think, and just not making, uh, getting through and making the playoffs. That being said, I, I think they're moving in the right direction. I think they're doing a lot of the right stuff. My biggest question is starting pitching with them. Uh, I think we'll see what happens there, but Barrios is a good start. Uh, season in review, John, what did they get right? What did they get wrong? And uh, how do you see them approaching this winter? So what they got right, I think the player development machine kept kicking ass. Uh, I don't think there was anyone on earth who saw what Vlad Guerrero did in 2020 and thought, oh, he's done, or he's, it's not going to happen. That, if you did, you're, you're an idiot. You're very stupid. <laughs> Stop being so stupid. Um, yes, I mean, they continue to have a fantastic player development machine. Obviously, Vlad Guerrero has now established himself as the guy we all thought he was going to be. Um, 
They've got very, you know, George Springer did his thing when healthy. Teoscar Hernandez did his thing when healthy. Lourdes Gurriel did his thing when healthy. Uh, the unfortunate thing for what went wrong is they had a lot of injury problems, particularly in the lineup. Uh, Springer missed a lot of time. Bo Bichette missed a lot of time. Kevin Biggio, I, I, I share your, I'm not as high on him either. I think a healthier season probably would have looked better for him. Uh, Teoscar missed time with injury. Lourdes Gurriel missed time with injury. They still need to figure some things out there uh, in terms of the injury stuff. Bullpen, they unearthed some guys who are not unearthed, but they cobbled together a useful enough bullpen with guys you would not have expected, like Tim Meza and Trevor Richards. Uh, Alec Manoa was a very positive development for them, obviously. Uh, Nate Pearson, another guy with injury issues. And really a lot of the good stuff, too, happened down in their minor leagues, and particularly Gabe Moreno, who looks very much like the catcher of the future. I saw him when I was out in Arizona Fall League last weekend. He has thunder in that bat. That's a, another really nice young player for them. The trick for this team going forward is going to be, as you said, one, adding pitching. That rotation right now is Barrios, Ryu, Manoa, Ross Stripling, and Nate Pearson. That needs more depth, certainly, and there's not a whole lot of depth in the high minors to rely on. I think you got to add at least one more arm to that, uh, maybe a Robbie Ray reunion, maybe something kind of along those lines. Uh, definitely, I would you know, focus on something there. The other thing I think, and then this is an open question. And I think, you know, the, uh, there's an obvious, if not obvious, a popular solution to it is what do you do at third base? Now that Vlad is a first baseman, as we all kind of figured he would be third base last year was mostly Santiago Espinal. It is him on the depth chart going into the season because with Marcus Semien gone, Kevin Biggio is over at second. Do you stick with that Espinal at third Biggio at second uh, arrangement? The the solution I was talking about, the the popular one, is that the Blue Jays trade for Matt Chapman, uh, pull off yet another trade for an A's third baseman like they did with Josh Donaldson years ago. Uh, obviously, one helps that def- infield a lot because this is a very weak defensive infield that cost the Blue Jays a lot. Of, it caused a lot of heartache for the Blue Jays last year. Similar with the outfield, but there's only so much you can really do there when you have uh, Lourdes Gurriel and when you're forced to do stuff like put Teoscar Hernandez out there every now and again. Um, I would think that if another possible alternative for the Blue Jays would be to explore replacing Randall Grichuk, who is just never really going to be anything other than a league average hitter and is kind of an okay defender, maybe trying to find a, it doesn't have to be a more expensive option there, but maybe just trying something different, um, you know, seeing that that seems to have kind of run its course. But I think the biggest problem for them is like what you already said, they are stuck in a division with the Yankees, the Rays and the Red Sox. There's just nothing they can really do about that. And like you said, the Red Sox, I have to imagine that the Blue Jays, along with pretty much everybody else, expected that the Red Sox were going to take a little longer to come back from that 2020 catastrophe they found themselves in, or that at the very least that that rebuild, it was gonna, it was it was never going to be a full rebuild, but that it wasn't going to be a very quick one either. And instead, the Red Sox are not just contenders again, but look like they're going to be contenders going forward. So what do you do about a division where you have three teams that are just as good, if not better, than you, and a wild card race where two of those teams are going to be in it the entire, or all you know, whoever's not winning the division is going to be in it the entire time. You don't try. You tear it down. You trade everybody. And that's like, I appreciate that the Blue Jays are trying. I I appreciate, and great that they're, like, what else were they going to do with the roster they had? Like, those guys are good right now. Wouldn't have made any sense to take another step backwards to get more of what they already have, which is going to be even harder to get. But it is just the unfortunate reality for the Blue Jays that whatever they do, they are stuck in this division. And so really the only solution there is just ramp up really hard. And I think because I, I think as you saw the last two years, like the you know twenty twenty, they were the quote unquote eighth seed in the playoffs. Last year they missed out by 
uh, a win thanks to Boston and New York hanging on very late. You know, I, I think they've we've now seen like this is a team that yeah they they are contenders, but having to contend for that wild card is a real pain in the ass. It really forces you to grind down to the very end of the season. So you know, if I'm the Blue Jays, I don't know if if the, the solution here is just to go wild out on the spending, but maybe they should just wild out on the spending. Just build a super roster. A lot of these guys who are young and are going to be there for a bit are cheap right now and are going to be cheap for a bit. You're under you're under no obligation to give Vlad Guerrero a big long-term extension right now. I mean, you have to at some point, but you don't have to do it right now. You have the benefit of having these guys where they are now, of having Vlad and Bichette and Teoscar and uh, Manoa and Pearson and et cetera, et cetera, is that they are cheap right now. And even with the extension that they just gave Jose Barrios, which I think is a very reasonable, very, you know, I, I, you know, I like that deal for both sides. You have a two to three year window to load up on salary and do like what the Blue Jays did six or seven years ago and just go for it. And I think that's, you saw that kind of start with Ryu for 2020 and George Springer for last year. And I think it makes sense for, you know, there, there is room, I think, for another big addition along those lines. You know, maybe it is you go after a Trevor Story and just decide, screw it, we're gonna we're gonna move Bichette to second base or third base, or we're gonna move him to second and put Bichette there, whatever it is you decide to do. Maybe it's dealing away some of those some other those prospects for Chapman on top of that. Maybe it's you you do say, you know what, we do like Robbie Ray a lot. He worked when he was here. Here's a four year seventy or eighty million dollar deal or whatever it is. You can afford it, and you should because. As we've now noted multiple times, this is not a division where you're going to sneak away with a, with a with a title at 88 wins or whatever. You can't pull a Braves or a Nationals in this division. You have to just go for it hard because whoever wins the, the AL East is probably going to do it with at least 95 wins, if not 100. You need to put your roster up at that level to compete truly with those teams. And I think Toronto is not quite there yet. They are very close. They have the the bones of this roster are absolutely fantastic. Which even more, which to me makes it even more of a, a of a, an imperative. Go for it now. You can afford to go for it now. If it doesn't work, okay, fine. You're stuck eating a bit of money toward the end, and maybe that complicates your plans for long term deals. But if you're not going to go for it now, when are you going to go for it? Do you, do you still want to wait another year or two to see? You know how? I mean, you've already got Vlad at MVP level production. You know, th- th- again, I'm just going to keep saying it. This is the time to go for it. I would say it in French, too, for your French-Canadian listeners, but I do not know how to speak French or Quebecois. So. Mm. Uh, Feel free if you want to take a stab at it. I'm not going to do it. Vous go for it. you got to be more confident when you're going to do it. you got to yeah, be confident. I, I really and... don't know any French. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took Latin in high school. It, it's not my language. It's a Kramer thing. Remember where he was just that, like, um, wasn't he saying something in a completely made-up language? And he's like, what is that? And he's like, oh, it's made up. Um no, but if are, you're you, confident... are you saying I should introduce myself as Doctor Van Nostrand on this podcast? <laughs> I, I mean, hey, it's the off season. Let's let's experiment. Let's get weird let's get, a little bit. Let's get weird. Yeah, let's get weird. There you go. Um, well, give me a big. Uh, we'll end it on this note. Give me a big Blue Jays prediction for this off season. Who do you think they take a big swing at? Uh, I, that's a good question. I think it's going to be a position player. And I think, I, th- I think a Matt Chapman trade just makes so much sense for them. Hmm. Not a starting pitcher. No, I mean they need a starting pitcher. I just don't think they're going to go big on starting pitching. But they have um, the assets to trade. Like they, they actually they, have some stuff. Like Nate Pearson should be on the trade block. 
I, I mean, I don't know. I think they'd like to give him a healthy season. To but see can you wait on him? Like of. the timeline, I don't know. I just don't know if you can continue to that, wait. I mean, that is tough. I, I do think that is something where his last two years have really complicated what that team wants to do with him because he really just has not been able to pitch as much as they need him to. It's the Lucas Giolito thing where you find something good for both sides where he wasn't going to work mean, out in the Nationals timeline. Is, mm. is there a Chris Sale level deal out there? <sighs> like, is there a mid-tier team looking to re to looking to retrench and i guess okay can they sign kershaw no here here i think if you want to make a a wild trade prediction here is the mid-tier team looking to retrench that has a currently cost-controlled starter who they're not going to have cost-controlled for much longer and needs to shed salary Mm. cincinnati and luis castillo Ooh, that I, i mean that's doable I don't know if the Blue Jays have the pieces that match up with what Cincinnati wants on that deal. That's I'm just throwing that completely out of out of nowhere. That's not you know there's no knowledge or anything behind that. But if they're looking for a starter who isn't going to break the bank and who would cost more in the way of prospects and from a team that really is just moving backwards, definitely think Luis Castillo in Cincinnati would make a lot of sense for them. But I think Chapman makes a lot of sense too because again that that infield is very bad defensively. They don't really have a long-term solution at third base right now unless they move Bichette or Biggio there full-time, which I'm, I i can't speak enough to their defensive capabilities as to whether or not uh, Toronto will be comfortable with that. And I don't think he's going to cost that much either because Oakland is the other team going backwards. Hell, maybe you make it a package deal where you pick up Chapman and you also take Chris Bassett off their hands. Bassett would make a ton of sense for Toronto. It's just an innings-gobbling, middle-of-the-rotation guy. And the A's have no reason to hang on to him anyway because I believe he only has one year left on his deal with them. So, or at most two, you know, take a lot of salary off off the A's hands, and maybe you can land yourself a, a starting third baseman and a good the good mid rotation pitcher that you need. There you go, there you go. John Taylor, Fangraphs.com. Go subscribe if you have not already done so. Follow him on Twitter.com at ja taylor. Uh, John, next week let's do do we do we do your team next week or do we go Yankees or or Rays? Who do we hit next week? Um, technically the Yankees finished third, right? Yeah. Yankees next week. Then I'm going to, I am going to revel in that. The Yankees finished third, then they will be treated third. <laughs> Suck it. I'm going to, I, I, I am of the level of pettiness that I will just lord this kind of thing over forever. There you go. I like um, it. Um, by the way, Bassett will be a free agent after the, uh, 2022 season. Mm. Okay. This will be as, this is his final year under team control. So I think similarly there just to finish that thought I, and Chapman is a free agent after the season too I think that one would make a lot of sense for Toronto is to pick up two free agents to be who probably are not going to cost terribly much in terms of prospect capital but fill two really important holes in your in your roster there you go there you go John Taylor talk to you soon all right Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.